You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, good morning. Great to be with you all again. We are continuing our series through this shorter catechism. Um, and as always, we have copies up here. Uh, they are dwindling, which is good because it means uh, they're being put to good use. What's that? We're what? We're taking them and Oh, you're taking them and losing them. That's not what I what I was saying, um, but maybe that's the case. Um, how many? Any any? Would anybody like a copy to read along with us today? You can take it home if you want, and preferably not lose it. You can bring it back, or if you think you'll lose it, drop it in here, and we'll have it next week for you. Anybody else? All right. Can you pass? Oh, here we go. All right. Anybody? Anybody? We've got plenty for you to read. Wonderful. All right. So this is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's one of those three documents that we hold uh, as a church as our theological standards. And this is what all of your officers um, subscribe to. Um, We uh, believe these things that are written in these three documents. The Shorter Catechism is one of them. The Larger Catechism is another one. And then the Confession of Faith. And the... um, Did I? Oh, this is mine. Okay. Okay. Um, I distracted myself. Where was I going with that? Um, Oh, and so your officers have to uh, subscribe to these, but this this is not what uh, we make every member say you believe every jot and tittle of this. Of course, we think it's good and right, so that's why we're teaching it, uh, so that you all can understand better uh, what we think a proper and good interpretation of Scripture is, what we believe Scripture is saying theologically. And so we've been working through this. uh, The Shorter Catechism was originally designed for children. Uh, to memorize, to know, uh, to imbibe, and this to be a part of just your your Christian outlook on life, uh, designed even from a young age for children to grasp it. And uh, and so we now, um, what, 400 years later, uh, our adults uh, study this. Um, but it is a wonderful teaching tool for, uh, for children as well. So we are in the middle of this series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're coming to the end of what we call the first table of the law, these first four commandments that speak of how we honor God. Uh, the first one was who is God, uh, who we worship. The second one is how we worship, no idols. The third is our sincerity of worship, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And this fourth one is remember the Sabbath, keep, to keep it holy, when we worship. The importance of a holy day, a holy time. Um, and I, I just, I don't think we've said this explicitly in this series. So I want to, uh, before we jump in, uh, make a general um, uh, state, our general framework for how we understand what we call the moral law of God. And that's the Ten Commandments are a summary of the moral law of God. That law which binds all people, all places, all times uh, to obedience to God in these ways. And there's what we say for the Christian, there are three uses. At, well, generally speaking, there are three uses of the moral law of God. And we'll say first, uh, historically, we've called this the pedagogical uh, use of the law. 
Uh, this comes from Paul, talks about how the law um, is a tutor. It's teaching us of Christ. So it's a, the pedagogical, the teaching use of the law reminds us of our sin. It's a mirror that we look into and we see our own sin and our need of a savior. And so the law, on the pedagogical use, condemns, but it drives us to Christ. It drives us to the one who kept the law. So as we look at this pedagogical use of the law, we fail, Christ keeps it for us. And a wonderful, glorious reality that is. So it keeps us going back to Christ over and over and over. The second use is what um, uh, the theologians will often call the civil use of the law. And this really speaks more of a common grace usage of the law, how it's written on all of our hearts. And so we're not as bad as we would be if we didn't have the law, uh, generally. So speaking of a civic righteousness and outward righteousness, the law restrains people, generally speaking. Um, there's not as much murder as there could be because God has given us the law imprinted upon our hearts that people generally uh, will follow in an external way. So there's a civic use of the law. And then the third use of the law is what we call the normative use of the law. This being, this is the law as a guide for the Christian life. For us to know, okay, I'm saved by grace. How do I honor this God who saved me? How do I, how do I walk in holiness? And so the law lays that path out for us. It shows us how to walk, how to honor God with our living. Again, not to attain salvation, not to earn salvation, but now in gratitude, how do I live the Christian life? So the the three uses of the law, pedagogical, civil, and the normative uses of the law. Um, and that helps us frame it as we, as we get into these discussions, um, especially today with the fourth commandment. Um, resources. I've, again, tried hard not to go too heavy on these, but I wanted to highlight a book that I just recently read um, in the last month or so. It's, a, it's called uh, The Sabbath as Rest and Hope for the People of God by Guy Prentice Waters. Um, it's a really great short book. Um, it's not all about what, you know, the questions today are like, well, what can I do on the Sabbath? What can I do on the Sabbath? Um, that's often what we think when we first got, dive into this topic, but it's a really good, uh, we say, biblical theological introduction. It goes from Genesis to Revelation, talking through the theme of the Sabbath and its biblical significance and importance for us. And yes, he has a last chapter on the practice and, and things like that. But uh, this is a really good, um, a good handy tool for looking at the Sabbath in its bigger picture of all scripture. So I'll recommend that. There's many other good things, but because I just recently read it, I thought I would highlight it. So we come to the catechism today, questions 57 to 62, all of these dealing with the fourth commandment. Um, any, uh, any comments before we jump in? All right, very good. Well, let's start with question 57. 57, <clears throat> which is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment is, and this is a quote from Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That's the King James rendering, which is what they used um, at this time of, of framing the, uh, the Shorter Catechism. So that is the fourth commandment. This is, uh, you'll note, the first positive command. All of them have been, you shall not, you shall not. This is the first positive one. It says, remember the Sabbath day. 
Um, another uh, interesting textual thing to note here is the difference between Exodus 20. So the Ten Commandments are in two places in Scripture, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And this is the one place where it differs in the two um, uh, statements of the Ten Commandments. And here it says... Um, for the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that, all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. That's one of the reasons given for the importance of this day. But in Deuteronomy 5, the basis for the Sabbath is stated to be, instead of creation, redemption is named. It says this, You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from, where, from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So it's interesting, we have these different rationales given in each of these um, uh, givings of the Ten Commandments. The first one that says creation, therefore keep the Ten Commandments, or keep the Sabbath. And the second one in Deuteronomy, it says redemption, therefore keep the Ten Commandments. So by way of, uh, by way of note, I wanted to uh, highlight that because um, it's not something we often think of. Um, so we simply have the text here. We'll get into more in a moment. Comments here on the text of the, ten, of the Fourth Commandment. All right. Oh, yeah. It seems to be a household or family responsibility when That's it right. talks about thy, uh, thy son, or thy daughter, or thy manservant, or thy maidservant. That's right. It's a family responsibility. That's right. It's a family responsibility. And then um, those who are in charge, you know, it, it talks about um, manservant, maidservant. So employers, right? Uh, those who are under your employ, uh, those who are under your care in a family, um, you're responsible for ensuring that they follow and they um, obey this commandment. And it's interesting. This is also the link now between um, this links the first four commandments with the second six commandments. And the next one is honor your father and mother. So you have that authority. Uh, so this is kind of the, the fulcrum. Now we're moving to authority in, in question five. But that's a aside. Um, but that, that's an important feature here of this commandment that, um, that those in authority uh, must allow those under their authority to, um, to keep the Sabbath day as well. It's not just an individual thing. Yeah. I find it striking. It begins with remember. I think the tendency for us is to be so caught up and involved in the things of this world. Right. And, our lives and the concerns that we have, the, the tendency is to forget about the Sabbath. That's right. That's right. And it doesn't just say um, honor the Sabbath day or keep the Sabbath day. It says remember. Uh, I think there's significance in that because we so quickly forget. And we'll get to some of these things. What are what are we remembering? Um, but that's exactly that's exactly right. Very good. John? Um, the the Shorter Catechism doesn't really doesn't talk about the six days you shall labor and do all your work. Right, yeah. right. But it doesn't actually address that in the responses. But that seems, that strikes me, and that also strikes me in, in, in the ideals presented in America today of working for retirement. Right, right. Or of the ideal of a, a life of leisure. Um, it's, I don't know if that was easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's. I think that's. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll stop here and think about that for a minute. He mentions he the confession mentions it. The catechism mentions it in question sixty two as one of the reasons for keeping the Sabbath day. One of the reasons for the Sabbath is there's six days of work. But it doesn't. You're right. Explicitly say uh, that one of the the positive requirements of the fourth commandment is working six days. First, scripture also speaks like if a man does not work, he shall not eat. That's right. Exactly. Yes. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Part of this commandment is six days of work. Are you going to say something, Nate? Well, 
the Lurker Catechism does speak to it, and it's it's framed in the context of understanding the Sabbath day as the penultimate sort of realization of your purpose. Right. And those six days of labor are your six days of setting your affairs in order for the worship of the Sabbath. So like everything is sort of yeah. pushing yeah. the Sabbath. We'll come to that point in a minute. In a minute, I'm going to take a slight issue with that, but I think, <laughs> but, 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 we'll come to that in a minute. Why is now the Sabbath day on Sunday instead of Saturday? We'll get to that that point. It's a really good point. Um, but, um, but, but part of here embedded. You shall work for six days. It doesn't say work for five days and you get two days off, um, which is what our culture typically tells us. But okay, maybe we've decided in our culture we're going to do five days uh, work outside the home, one day of work at the home, and then we have a day of rest. Whatever, however we we divvy up those other six days, we have one day now set aside that is for the worship of God. Let, let's go to the next question because we're getting into it. Um, and the next question is uh, fifty-eight. What is required in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requireth the keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word, expressly one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to himself. So the, the core here is, is, is what Nate said, the core here is we are worshiping people and God has given us an entire day set aside for this great task of worshiping. It's a day of holy rest, keeping holy to God this day. We don't often think of times being holy, of certain times um, and days being holy, but that's exactly what this is saying. There's a holy day, a sanctified day, a set-apart day that God has given us. How often do we say, oh, I don't have time to read my Bible, or oh, I don't have time to read a good Christian book, oh, I don't have these, these things I, would, I wish I could do, but God has given us a day for that purpose. If we don't read our Bible any other time, which I'm not saying that's, you know, what we should do, we should be reading our Bible on Sunday, right? This is a day God has given us for this holy purpose. And we'll get into, uh, there's more details that it spells out later. Um, but I do want to note here that the Ten Commandments or the, 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 um, the divines who wrote this, uh, this document, um, they're assuming that the Ten Commandments continue to apply today. Um, at their, time, at their uh, point in time when they wrote this, it was not as contested as it is, t- it is today. Sometimes now Christians will say today that the Ten Commandments don't apply to us under the New Covenant. Or they'll even say the Fourth Commandment particularly doesn't apply to us today. But that's contrary to the entire thrust of our, of our theology that the moral law of God that's contained here in the Ten Commandments, the moral law is for all people in all places and all times. And so that is required. God has given a day, a day of rest, set aside for, uh, for his worship. Um, this principle of one and seven is repeated throughout the ceremonial law. The seventh month of the year was the most sacred. Um, the, uh, indentured servants were released on the seventh year. Land laid fallow every seventh year. The seventh year of seven years was a jubilee. Um, land was returned to its original owner. This seven principle, this one and seven principle comes up over and over, highlighting for Israel uh, the importance of this day. And we've already talked about the six days of work here uh, that are hinted at in, uh, later on in the, in the catechism. 
So let's go, um, let's go to the next question, which raises the important, uh, the, the important issue. Well, the Ten Commandments says um, you rest on the last day of the week. But the Catechism says something different. Which day of the seven hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath? Question 59. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath. And the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. So this next key concept we come to is after Christ's resurrection, the Sabbath is celebrated on the first day of the week. Now, it's interesting. The the catechism just states that fact. It's changed from Saturday to Sunday. It doesn't give any um, uh, reasoning. It doesn't tell you why. It just states it. And I don't know why that's the case, but it's, pro- it's likely because, um, again, it wasn't challenged that day and time. It was assumed, like the rest of church history, this is why, the, or this is what's happened. Um, and the why didn't need to be stated because everybody understood. Now, I want to give three brief arguments for why, why it changed from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, and the first piece is biblical. We see clearly all four gospels mention Christ rose on the first day of the week. That's very important. Christ rose on this first day of the week. We see it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then immediately we see Christians gathering, or what would be called Christians, gathering on the first day of the week. We have that phrase used a couple times in the New Testament. Um, in John 19, Jesus, or John 20, verse 19, Jesus gathers with his disciples after the resurrection on the first day of the week. In Acts 20, verse 7, we see Christians gathering on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul tells them, when you gather on the first day of the week, this gathering on the first day of the week is repeated through the New Testament. Um, And so we see this, this practice that's happening early on, and we're trying to connect the dots theologically. What's going on? Why is this happening? And I think the best theological argument is this. Is this. There's been now an eschatological shift for the importance of this day. What I mean by that is this. The Sabbath at creation was pointing to that ultimate Sabbath rest. And what God set up, you shall work for six days towards the rest. And the Old Testament Israel was working towards rest. There's six days of labor is what Nate said. So you're working towards preparing for rest, right? This is what the law said in the garden before Adam and Eve fell was work. If you work and obey, you will achieve this rest. The Sabbath rest put out at the creation was this hope of the eternal life, the the promise of this confirmed state in the presence of God forever, even greater than they experienced in the Garden of Eden at that time. And so in the garden, this was the hope of eternity that was held out to them. And this reality is, is still there at the end of the week for Israel. You're working six days, waiting for, the, waiting, waiting for the rest to come. You're waiting for salvation to come. You're waiting for the Savior. You're waiting for the heavenly rest. But now in Christ, he's here. Now the heavenly rest has come. Now the one who has achieved it and earned it is here. And so no longer are we working towards rest. We're now resting that we can work. We're now resting in Christ. The beginning of our week now has turned to not working towards sitting in that rest. Now we begin our week with rest. We begin our week with Christ. We begin our week because he rose on this day. It's reminding us now you're living in light of what I've done for you. You're not living in order to attain eternal life. You're living because I've given you eternal life. And so this fundamental shift, this sixth, the seventh day to the first day, is showing us something incredibly important about what Christ did for us and now how the Christian life is lived in light of Christ's resurrection. 
And so the work that we do is now we're filled up with the gospel. We're filled up with the reality of who we are as new people in Christ. Now we can go live the other six days in light of that. So that's, uh, that's the theological point. And then what, I'll come back to you, Jim, one second. And then the, the historical point is that immediately Christians did this and they never stopped. Immediately Christians began gathering on the first day. The early church, all the records, they gathered on the first day, worshiped on the first day. And Christians have never, never stopped. Until recently, there have been some sects that, sects that have decided um, we, want to, we don't want to do this anymore. Um, this has been the practice of the church since day one. So those are the three points, biblical, theological, and then historical. Jim. Uh, well, just the correlation, perhaps, uh, maybe it's a misapplication, you can correct me, that the Old Testament has so many references to feasts and other aspects of first fruits. That's right. First That's right. Now that that has happened to yeah. Christ, this is a benefit of the first fruits. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. And we see Christ being the, the um, ultimate picture of the first fruits because he has raised from the dead and we're awaiting our resurrection. And so we see the fulfillment of all those beautiful pictures from the Old Testament in Christ. And we're now living in light of them. The first fruits is, is one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, I realized that I think it was in Joseph Pipe's book, The Large Day, that he pointed this out, that Christ was actually involved in working for our salvation on the seventh day. That's right. Until the eighth day, the first day that he entered his modern rest. That's right. That's right. And like, because I grew up, you know, my background growing up in uh, a seventh-day church, so I've I've Praise God. Yeah, Mark. What, what is your response to those who say, <clears throat> we don't need, like, for example, D.A. Carson would say, you know, this day has been fulfilled. You know, Christ fulfilled this day. We, we don't need it. Yeah, right. He fulfilled all Ten Commandments, and we don't wipe any of the other ones away. We don't say, well, Christ fulfilled, do not murder, therefore I can murder. Um, Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest. So they're just slightly different. They're saying Christ is our Sabbath rest. We now enjoy Christ, so we don't need this one day in seven. But the reality is, this was a creational ordinance from before sin entered the world. And if we're if we're um, undoing that, saying we don't need this creational ordinance anymore, um, then we're, we're, we're saying um, something fundamentally is, is wrong with the created order how God made it before the fall. And so I, I think there's a lot to unpack and a lot to say um, to that position. I think it's a, um, uh, I won't say it's an unreasonable position. I think people who have this D.A. Carson view, it's not unreasonable, but I just don't think it's faithful to the biblical text and the full 
whole theological context. Yes, you can try to go to certain texts, um, Hebrews 4, um, they'll argue for that, but I can use Hebrews 4 to argue why, uh, why we still enjoy a rest here as a foretaste of the heavenly rest, a foretaste of the fullness of Christ's rest that we will enter into. Yes, we have a foretaste now, but we're waiting for that, and it's not fully, finally here um, in, in the ultimate sense. So I, I think they, they miss... Usually it's a Baptist understanding of the new covenant um, as well that we don't have time to get into. And so I'd want to hit that issue as well. Yeah. I can remember a prior pastor of ours saying how, um, I think was it with the Passover where the calendar was changed as well? The, he said this the Exodus, yeah. Exodus yeah. God said this will now be the first month of your of right. year. That's right. And so it, it's a marking too of these monumental... That's right deliverances by God. That's right. And he, yep. he alters the calendar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Exactly. Yep. The two places in scripture where the calendar changes is the Exodus and then now the resurrection of Christ. Um, and we mark them now differently. Okay. There's lots. There's lots. We'll, we'll keep diving into more details here. Let's keep moving forward. Um, all right, so now we get really practical. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? Question 60. So let's look at question 60. The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. So we come to this fourth, what I'm calling key concept in this this, um, set of questions. This day is set apart by a holy resting all that day as a delight. So the the, the catechism doesn't particularly go here, but we'll get to a passage in Isaiah that talks about this being a delight for God's people. So this holy resting as a delight for God's people. Now it's interesting, it says a holy resting. It doesn't say a physical resting. Um, It doesn't say um, a day of leisure. It says a holy resting, a sanctified resting. And this is not a synonym for physical resting or leisure because it goes on to tell us what this holy resting consists of. It's a rest from worldly employments and recreations. On this day, you get to, not you have to, you get to have a break from all those things that normally are burdening your mind and your time and your efforts and your energy. You get to have a break from all those other things that are weighing you down throughout the week. This is a day where you set those things aside and God says, come and enjoy me today only. Don't let these other things get in your way. Your work, I'm giving you permission. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't work. Enjoy me. This is a day of feasting in God's presence with God's people. And so we rest from these worldly employments and recreations. Exodus 20, we read earlier here from the Ten Commandments. You shall not do any work. Any work. It even says it more uh, all-encompassing than the catechism says. The catechism says, well, any work means um, work except necessities and mercy. We'll come to that in a minute. But you shall not do any work. And I love Isaiah 58, how it talks about this. I'm going to read these two verses, verses 13 and 14. And this is an indictment. Isaiah is indicting Israel for their failure to keep the Sabbath. And so Isaiah, speaking for God, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, 
and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love this language because what it's saying, what it's telling Israel is instead of delighting in the Lord, you're delighting in yourself. You're delighting in your things. You're delighting in things that don't fulfill. But instead, use this day to delight in the Lord. I've given you an entire day, God says, to delight in me. It says, doing your pleasure on my holy day. That's not what this is for. It's not about your pleasure. It's not about doing those things you want to get done. Call it a delight and do and and worship and honor God. It says, don't go your own ways or seek your own pleasure. Don't talk idly. That's not what this day is for. This day is for something far richer and more meaningful and more substantive. It's for worshiping God, for glorifying and enjoying him as we rest from these other things. And then let's, we'll get into, let's, let's talk about some of these permissible activities, okay? I, I'm sure there's, there'll be lots of questions here. Uh, but this, this, um, this question phrases it that the whole day is to be taken up in worship and also in works of necessity and mercy. So worship, I want to read a couple of these verses just to, to help, help us understand where this comes from. Um, Leviticus 23.3, this is, um, again, reminding Israel of, of their requirement to keep the Sabbath. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. I love that, a holy convocation, a set-apart gathering of God's people on this day. It's a day for that. It's a day set aside for that. So we have a day for worship. That's the center point of what this day is for, for worshiping God. But also, there are works of necessity and mercy. We get this even from Jesus himself as uh, there was a Pharisaical understanding of the Sabbath in the Pharisees in, the, in Christ's day. And so they were constantly sparring over, what's the purpose of this day? What can I do today? What can I not do today? And Jesus even says in Luke 14, verse 5, that it's permissible to pull your ox out of a ditch or your son falls in a well. It's okay to pull them out on the Sabbath, right? Of course it is. Don't say it's the Sabbath, I'm going to let you die. No, there's things of necessity, things that are important that must be done, right? You got to clean dirty diapers. You got to get food on the table, right? There's lots of necessary things you have to do. Now, the question is, okay, what's strictly necessary? Um, And I'm not sure we can get into that. I think we need to, um, Christians in our own mind, need to um, not do anything that violates our own conscience and understanding of this. But I do think there's probably a little bit of room for different understandings among Christians on that. But it must be done in this greater context of the purpose of the day is for worship, Is it necessary to go get your car washed on Sunday? I don't know. Let's think about that. Is it necessary to fill your car up with gas on Sunday? Well, to Nate's point, we should have thought about that the day before, right? Ideally. So as we think about what's necessary, um, we have to to, um, seek wisdom from the Lord in this and understand the bigger picture framing of the day. Um, And then the other one is uh, mercy, where uh, in Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. 
and he is uh, just excoriated by the leaders. Um, Jesus says, look, I'm healing somebody. I'm doing an act of mercy on the Sabbath. This is permissible. We can care for other people. We can exert ourselves. Um, again, Sabbath doesn't mean don't exert yourself today. We can exert ourselves for the good of other people and care for them. And uh, there's a, a rich tradition, uh, heritage in the Reformed tradition of hospitality on the, on the Sabbath, of inviting people over, of enjoying other people, of feasting with God's people on the Sabbath, uh, literally in your home. So uh, yes, that's permissible. That's good. That's right. It's in line with this act of mercy. So um, there's lots of weeds we can go into. Nate. Uh, to that point, would you say that the seventh So I think what is being said here is that what's required is um, required is worship. Um, there's lots of necessary things we're going to do on the Sabbath um, that aren't worship. Um, holding a baby, right? Uh, that's, that's a necessary thing. Um, making sure our kids are cared for. Necessary thing that we're going to do. So it's not a command to do necessary things. It's just recognizing necessary things are going to happen. Um, and we do them. Um, the mercy aspect, I don't think it's commanded in, this, in, a, in a special sense other than the general um, requirement we have to seek the good of other people. That is commanded, generally speaking. Um, and that's something we can and ought to do on the Sabbath when it arises. Um, as long as it's, it's within that broader framework, framework of a day for worship and a holy resting. So I don't know if that's that's answering your question. I'm sure there, you do have you have comments on that. You have a view on that. Okay, uh, one and then two. When Jesus uh, in his comment said, uh, "Man is not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man." That's right. And so there's an, seems to be a very strong element that this was created for our benefit. That's right. We're talking about this, multiple reasons, like. Similarly, so that a just laws would be to would be an unjust law to have some have someone work seven days. It would even be a good law to say you could not work more than a certain number of hours. That's right. Like that. That's right. Um, and, and and kind of and, and to think about it in that context, where if you're following the, the Sabbath and it ends up causing somebody harm, mm -hmm. you're not doing good works. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Very good. What do you count as the Sabbath? Like, I've been known to throw laundry in after evening service um, because I'm thinking, okay, my day has come to an end or something. Um, do you have... Yeah, so what the question is, what is the Sabbath? Is it sunrise to sunset? Is it sunset Saturday to sunset Sunday? Um, I'm going to say I don't believe there's a biblical basis for saying it must be this particular set of measuring on this. I think this is one of those um, areas where... I'm more comfortable saying this is this is an individual conscience conviction issue, um, and I, and I think if you're honoring the Sabbath and then after evening worship you're okay with throwing laundry in the the laundry machine, um, I think I'm not going to get up in arms about that. Um, but <laughs> right, right, yes, yeah, so like you you pack lunches for Monday school, right? Um, you do that Sunday night. You you know you get ready for your week after. That's Honestly, how I feel after evening worship, it's like, okay, we're, we're now doing necessary things to prepare for the week ahead. Um, and I think that's can be appropriate. Um, second thing is just like a reminder of, you know, when I had toddlers, it was very easy to follow the Sabbath. When I'm a grandparent, 
grandparents, I'm going to be like, real, you know, I think as a church, we have to remember, like even when I grew up, events were not on Sunday, any sports were not on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Now we have Christian schools who are hosting tournaments on Sunday, yeah. different stuff. So these families uh, that are participating in things are really having to work through tricky right. scenarios. That's right. And a lot of times in Christian environments as well. So um, I just think it's important because we can get on our high course at, you know, 75 years old about the Sabbath, but not really have to work through these hard things with right. our kids. That's right. And, okay, how do you tell your kid they can't, they're going to ruin their team's chances in the right. tournament? I mean, those are legitimate things that families within the church are working through. So just as a reminder to, like, be more of a support and right. encouragement right. rather than a heavy fix. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's a good word, um, and we want to encourage one another in this. We're not, um, I, I haven't known the Redeemer Session in any way to uh, be, um, uh, come down on people with a, with a heavy hand on this issue, knowing we are weird in our culture for this. This is one of those things that's really going to set Christians apart in our culture, even now among Christians, um, to be the church that worship is, worship, worship is, worships morning and evening, um, the church that, you know, uh, that does these things, um, that has people who say, no, I'm not going to play sports on Sunday. Um, that's weird in our world. And there's going to be tension points, and it's going to be hard to work through that. And so I do think think that's well said, and we need to give each other grace, and we're not looking down our noses at other people. Uh, we want to encourage and walk alongside of one another, knowing we all get put in hard positions with regard to the Sabbath. Um, and that, that's not um, uh, justifying um, breaking the Sabbath, but it's saying, hey, let's let's work together on this and, um, and work on enjoying it together and working through these difficult things with our culture. At the risk of being <laughs> I understand the dilemma, but where do we stop the slippery slope yeah, right, right. of becoming so irrelevant to society? Right, right. And so it's not like necessarily putting a heavy fist down there, right. but as we looked at what's happened in the last hundred years, the church is basically irrelevant in our right. society. Right. So how does that change? Do we encourage parents to say to their Christian school, this is inappropriate. Right, Do right. Do Saturday. Yeah, that's right. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily <clears throat> heavy-handed, but mm -hmm. if we look at everything in our society, where is the church standing That's right, that's right. Yeah, I, I'll say I'm re incredibly um, proud of our denominational college, Covenant College, um, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Very good school. Um, a couple years ago, their uh, their women's tennis team went to like the championships or whatever, and they had the championship on a Sunday, and they decided, no, we're not playing. We're going to forfeit and lose the championship because of our conviction on the Sunday. Um, and I think there's all kinds of um, issues now legally. Can they even, you know, if we have conviction, do they have to accommodate us, you know, all kinds of, it was a Christian school league too, I think, um, if I don't, if I remember correctly. Um, so, but it, the Christian school league is making them play on Sunday. So to your point. Um, so I'm very glad that there are those taking the stand. And I will say um, when I was, what, late middle school, probably um, baseball, I was going to be a major league baseball player. Um, <laughs> and uh, I had friends who would like mock me at school. And I'm like, oh, you just wait, I'm going to show you. <laughs> and, um, and I had, you know, the travel team approach me and say, hey, we want you to come play for us. And I was so excited. Yes, I'm, this is my, you know, break. I'm going to be seen by scouts and whatever, whatever. And uh, my parents said, no, 
you're doing your, they, they play every Sunday and you're going to be on the road. We're not going to be together. You're not going to be able to worship. You're not going to honor the Sabbath. No, it's devastated. But looking back, I think that was one of the best things my parents did for me. They drew the line in the sand. They said, no, we're going to honor the Lord. Yes, you're not going to, prob- that's why I'm not a major league baseball player today, just for the record. Um, blame it on my parents. Right, that, no, that's the only reason. That's right. I was, I was ready and able. Um, but I'm sacrificing because of the fourth commandment. Right? Um, but my parents were willing to say, no, this is so important. We're not going to do it. And we have to draw those hard lines at some point. But it's difficult to know how exactly to do that. One, two, three. And it's hard to not think of chariots of fire as we have this conversation. That's right. That's right. What does this sort of backwards from... Yeah, so uh, the question is, can, is Saturday evening worship legitimate or valid? Um, is that which basically what you're asking? I mean, um, yeah, essentially, I think it is an impoverished view of the Lord's Day to, to do it on Saturday evening. Um, I know PCA churches do that. Like, I think it's a thing in Florida, in a bunch of PCA churches, they have Saturday night service, and they also have a Sunday morning, but... Um, you know, uh, we when we were in Charlotte uh, at seminary, I had to go visit a, a, for a worship class. We had to go visit a very well-known, large, broadly evangelical church. We went on Saturday night, so we didn't have to miss our church on Sunday, which was great for us. But the pastor, uh, one of the pastors who stood at the beginning, so glad y'all are here. You gave us your Saturday night. Now you can go do whatever you want on Sunday. <laughs> And that's the view, typically, right? Um, I think it's a very impoverished view of the Lord's Day. Now, this isn't a matter of salvation, right? Just because you worship on Saturday night and you don't go on Sunday doesn't mean your salvation is called into question. But it's a question of, is this the way God made us to be? There will be, there is an impoverishment if that's the way you're, you're worshiping. Um, so I would not condone that. Um, I could caveat that a hundred ways, but I'll, I'll stop there. Um, yeah. That's right. How, how is it going to, I mean, simple things. That's like right. That. Yeah. So yep. Very I good. That's been kind of a fun thing that we've mm-hmm. enjoyed doing as a family. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that. I good good point of wisdom. Cakes after evening worship. I mean, so there's all different mm-hmm. ways to make it fun and celebratory. Exactly. It's a day of feasting. It's not a day of fasting. And I think we need to step into that and, and enjoy that. Um, do you, Jim, do you have your hand up? Then we'll go back to that. <laughs> admittedly straw man argument that has presented me many times by very strict sanitarians over the years is if I were to break the commandment not to steal, could I get around that by paying someone to steal something for me? Am I, am I then not actually culpable because I wasn't doing it? I made somebody else break the commandment on my behalf. I've heard that then spun. Well, if you're going to go to Chipotle on a Sunday and pay someone to break the Sabbath in order to get you food, mm-hmm. is that the same thing? Right, and right. Yeah, I know that's a very contrived argument. Yeah. I have heard that a number of times. 
Right. Right. Oh, thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Um, I thought you were going to wrap it up there uh, and give us the conclusion. So I, I, so I will say, interesting, um, the uh, English Parliament, uh, under this view of the Lord's Day, they, um, they enacted a law that forbid basically anything from being open on Sundays except public houses. So except places of lodging and food. They allowed those to be open on Sunday, knowing that's an act of mercy and necessity often. Um, and so uh, it's interesting. Now, I'm not saying the divine had full consent with that. I'm sure there would be some that had problems with it. But I think generally, my own personal conviction, um, I think a necessary meal where there's no other option, maybe, but you need to grab Chipotle or something like that. Um, I, again, I think from a church perspective, I'm not, I don't think our church is, is going to, you know, find that problematic in and of itself, right? Now, you might have your own conviction, and great, uh, abide by your conviction on that matter. Um, but I do think it's instructive that the, that the um, legislature in England, the parliament, at the time where this was the prevailing view, they were okay with, with something like that, um, knowing that it was a necessity for travelers, for some people in different spots and different things going on. They needed that, food, that provision of food and lodging. So that would be my, that's my only real, real comeback there. Um, so yes, Colin. So through the fall, we are burdened with oil throughout the week, and we don't have time to work through recreation in nature. Right. And so one of the words I struggle with is this recreation. Right. Process, right. Find Good. The joy on the Sabbath to Good. Right. Right. Good. Yeah. Recreation. Great. Thank you. Uh, as we're over time, now we can open this can of worms. No, it's very important um, because recreation um, often, so you have guys coming for presbytery and they say, well, I take exception to, I have a difference with the catechism and confession on this issue because I think I can go in the backyard and throw a football with my kid on a Sabbath. Right. Um, I don't think that's what it's speaking to. Uh, we have to always do it under the over, overarching umbrella of uh, this is a day of worship for the Lord um, and is doing this kind of thing conducive to that. But I will say um, that is also a way to share fellowship, right? To share um, uh, a time. Sometimes it's necessary to make your kids run around in the backyard to get the energy out uh, and to run around with them. That's fine. It's not saying you can't go on a walk on Sunday. Actually, walks on Sunday is a wonderful thing. Reflect on the sermon. Reflect on God's goodness. Um, it's not saying you can't move your body on Sunday. Um, that's often a pharisaical uh, way that, that the Pharisees um, in the days of Jesus said you can only walk so far. You can only do these things. Um, and Jesus said, well, that, that's not what this day is about. And so I, I would be very careful to say, no, you can't throw a football or no, you can't go on a walk because some of these can be done in the right way. But it, all this comes back to your posture and what the day is for. Are you honoring the overarching point of this day, which is that holy resting from all your labors? Now, if you're going back out to throw football, um, to practice with for your team to get ready for the game. Okay, that's a little different, I think, than a, a way of, of throwing the football to connect with your son or your child or something like that. Um, anyway, I may have opened myself up to a thousand charges, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll stop there. We missed uh, what is forbidden on the Sabbath day, which is basically um, things that are not necessary and things that are not mercy and things that are not worship. So we basically covered it indirectly, um, but we can talk more later if you have questions. I will say one final thing. I will put in a plug um, also for evening worship in light of this. We're not going to say evening worship is absolutely 100% required by scripture. 
Um, we don't discipline people for not coming to evening worship, but we do it for many positive reasons. But one is it helps us all keep the Sabbath. If we come in the morning and come in the evening, you're only left with a few hours in the middle. And the few hours in the middle, you got to eat. you got to uh, you know, put your kids down for a nap. You're doing all your necessary things. Maybe you have some time to read your Bible, get ready. You come back in the evening and you conclude the day in worship. It's a wonderful, glorious way to make celebrating and, and observing the Sabbath easier. There's many other reasons to come, um, but that's just one. And so I want to uh, commend that to you to consider, um, if you don't make that a habit, to make worshiping morning and evening a habit on the Lord's Day. Let me pray and we'll prepare for worship. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this day, this day where we get to rest from those things that clutter our minds, that clutter our, our thoughts and our, our time throughout the week. And thank you for giving us this day to push those aside and to look at our risen Savior and to be reminded of this great salvation that is ours. We praise you, O Lord, for this day and above all for Jesus Christ. Bless us as we now go to worship him. May your spirit enable us to do that. Oh, Lord, we love you and are thankful for your law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.